You are listening to the After the Timeout podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki, two high school head coaches looking to help others spread their passion for the game of basketball. Tune in for episodes about anything basketball related, on the court, off the court, and anything in between. We at the After the Timeout podcast would like to take a full timeout to talk about V-Reps basketball. Coaches, do you get frustrated by how some players just cannot seem to learn your offensive system? Are you spending countless hours teaching your offensive system to your team just for them to forget by the next practice? You should check out V-Reps. V-Reps was founded by basketball players and coaches to create tools that make learning plays easily a reality. V-Reps allows coaches to turn their 2D playbook into a 3D interactive video game that players can watch on any mobile device on their own time. Don't just have players watch film, have them live it and control the players so that they have a better, more efficient learning experience. It's free to try. Go to vreps.us to sign up today. On today's episode, we are glad to be joined by Coach Sharman Smith. She is the head coach of the University of California, Berkeley. Uh, coach, how are you doing today? Thank you for joining us. I'm doing well, thanks. Thank you for having me. So we always start with, uh, we call it the opening tip, just like a fun question about people's backgrounds. So we saw that you majored in civil and environmental engineering at Stanford. So if you didn't go into a career in basketball, what would you have used your degrees to do for a living? Yeah, so for a long time, I always said, you know, I wanted to build bridges. And um, so, you know, that was my interest and um, just fascinated by the bridges here in, in the Bay Area with the Bay Bridge and the Golden Gate Bridge, um, just something I, I have always been intrigued by. Um, and I always say, while I'm not, you know, physically building bridges, I do think that my coaching career allows me to you know, build bridges in a different way in terms of, you know, the mentoring of, of young women and assisting them and in, in, um, getting ready for, you know, their careers and life after college. So it's kind of still in there. <laughs> more, more the emotional bridge than the physical bridge. Exactly. So coach, you, you, you played and coached at Stanford with coach Vanderveer. Um, we just wanted to kind of get into some of the things you took away from your time there with coach Vanderveer um, that you have used to kind of run your own program and maybe how you've taken some of those things and made them your own as well. Yeah, I think, you know, playing for Tara is obviously um, a, a really cool thing. I'm, I'm so grateful for that opportunity and even being on her staff for three years as an assistant coach. Um, you know, I, I'd say, of course, the attention to detail, um, you know, the, the discipline, um, you know, the focusing in on doing things the right way is, is something that, that I, I picked up from, from Tara um, and, and really knowing how to take away the strengths of your opponent and forcing them to beat you with not option A, but going to B, C, and D, right? Um, and also like, especially with my playing experience is just like how to work hard. I mean, 
there was no, nothing given to me at Stanford when it comes to to my basketball. You know, I came in with a really talented group and sat on the bench for two years and had to work and find my way into a starting spot on a team that went to three Final Fours. And um, you know, I, I wasn't the star. I averaged, I don't know, like three points a game or something, but that work ethic that I learned and that competitiveness that I had in playing against the best, you know, every day in practice really is why I was able to be successful at the next level and earn a spot in the WNBA and know how to compete, uh, against the best. And I, I try to instill that in, in my players today. Like you, you got to work for it. And, you know, um, Tara would always say some people want, want the sweatshirt without the sweat you know, and um, that, it just doesn't work that way. I think that's a, a interesting point about the, you know, kind of just teaching that competitive, competitiveness, easy for me to say, and work ethic. You know, what are some, what are some things you do with your players, you know, to kind of more teach those intangibles? I think so many coaches out there, you know, we could talk about how to, to drill this concept or teach shooting this way, but what are some of those ways that you teach those intangibles to your players? Yeah, I mean, this has been a great time for my program now and, and what we went through with COVID and everything, kind of pressing a reset button um, in terms of what we do and how we do everything. And we've really focused in on our core values. And, um, you know, we have our circle, which, which essentially um, details our core values of uh, connection, integrity, resilience, competitiveness, leadership, and embracing improvement. And, and we talk about those things daily, whether we're in the weight room and how we're attacking a rep or you know how we show up for an academic meeting with, with an advisor, we always want to um, you know, be honoring those, those things in the circle and, and make sure that we are bought in and, and everyone's a part of the circle and not breaking the circle. And so I think the more you talk about it off the court, uh, you, you see the results on the court even more. So kind of to shift gears, um, you know, we've, we've talked to some players uh, and coaches that have done both professionally at, in the United States and overseas. Um, and, and we find just the differences to be very interesting. So what are the ways that women's basketball players are just, let's talk about first treated differently um, overseas versus in America, um, you know, off the court? Yeah, I, I think it depends on, you know, where you go overseas, right? Like my overseas experience was a lot different than Sue Bird's overseas experience, right? But, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're playing in Russia, I, from what I'm told, you know, you're treated like a queen and, you know, it's, it's, it's really the life and the amount of money that, that people are making overseas in those top countries. Um, it, you know, the WNBA is, 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 is way behind in terms of that. Um, granted, it's a shorter season, right? Um, but, but still the, the, the overseas experience in, in that way at the top level is, is, is really, really powerful and, and something special for, for our um, athletes, but they do have to sacrifice and, and live overseas, right? So I think the cool thing about playing here in the United States is, you know, being able to be in front of, you know, the, the American fans and, and your families and people coming to games and that type of thing. Um, but we've got a lot of work to do here when it comes to women's sports, and we all know that. And um, I'm thankful for the w that the WNBA has been along, around for as long as it has and looking forward to it getting even better moving forward. 
So that you led me perfectly into our next question. And when we spoke to Jeff Walls, it was during the tournament and when when people were seeing the pictures of the ways that the, the weight rooms were different and the food was different for the men's and the women's players collegiately. Um, and you kind of started to touch on that, you know, just now, but, you know, what are the ways that, you know, whether it's American professional women's basketball or American collegiate women's basketball or any sport, frankly, not just basketball, what ways do we need to improve to meet those standards of, as you said, you know, the way the Russian league treats their women athletes? Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing is we need to invest in women's sports and we don't do that the same way that we invest in men's sports. And so everyone says, oh, well, the men's game makes money. Right. Because you invested in it. Right. That, and, and I mean, everybody knows that it's common sense. Right. The more you put into something, the more you're going to get out of it. Right. Um, and, and until we have a serious investment, right? They have half the amount of resources for the women's NCAA tournament um, in terms of the number of staffing uh, individuals that are working on the tournament, right? Um, the lead of our tournament does not report to the president of the NCAA. However, the lead of the men's tournament does. Um, all types of different, different incentives for corporate sponsorships and such to where you wouldn't want to sponsor the women's tournament, you were going to go to the men's and give your money there because of the way that they set up the incentives. So all of these things um, make it a no brainer as to why the men's tournament would make more money than the women's, right? If given a chance, we can pull in a lot more revenue than we are, but you have to invest in it. And, and, and that's across the board. You talk about softball and volleyball and these sports, you know, I, I always say like, I saw cornhole on ESPN. Cornhole. So don't don't tell me that you know, you know what I'm saying? cornhole yep. and uh, what's the other sport? You, um, have? you know what I'm saying? Yes, curling, curling, yeah, curling. Yeah. Like yeah. that's on ESPN. Don't tell me that women's basketball can't make money. I just I, I won't buy it. It's not true. It's because we're not putting in the effort to allow it to grow the way that the sport is capable of growing. All right. So I guess this is connected as well so we're seeing so many more women in coaching on the men's side pros in college um first kind of question is what do you think it's going to take to to have that breakthrough to where we can have uh, a, a a woman a female head coach on on the men's side i mean it's really the same answer it, it it's an investment and someone giving someone the opportunity that's all we're, we're very capable i mean no doubt. Oh, you no. can't tell me that Jeff Walsh is capable of coaching women and, you know, a, a female isn't capable of coaching right. a, a men's team. It just doesn't make sense in, in 2021. That's just not right. logical. Right. So from Becky Hammond to um, Lindsay Harding to Sonia uh, Rama to Christy Tolliver, um, you know, my good friend Lindsay Gottlieb was doing well with the Cavs and she came yep. back to SC. Um, Jenny Busick, like there are a lot of women who are doing extremely well. And I had my fingers crossed that Becky would get one of the most um, recent openings, you know, and, and I think her time will come uh, as long as, uh, as well as some of the other women. And we will see, see um, you know, a female head coach in the NBA. It's just, people just have to be willing to give the opportunity to someone that deserves it. And there are women out there who do deserve it. All right. So to follow up with that, is that something you'd ever be interested in uh, coaching, coaching on the men's side? I mean, I'm sure you've coached, you've coached all kinds of athletes, but is that something you'd be interested in? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I would close the door to any opportunity at this point, you know. Um, but right now, I'm I'm really passionate about women's basketball. Yep. Um, I'm really passionate about you know Cal Bears and and what I think um, the potential we have. And um, I love being in the toughest conference in the country in the Pac-12. I love yeah. living in the Bay Area, you know. So so right now, um, this is my thing, and and I want to do this extremely well. Um, but you know who who knows um, down the road what what inspires you? But right right now, th this is what inspires me and gets me excited every day to go to work. You know, before I move on to the next question, I, I just wanted to reiterate everything you said with such passion um, was just wonderfully said. And and Todd and I are major advocates of the women's game, and we've both coached on the the women and the and the girls side in high school and college. And so, thank you for everything you said. And I hope our listeners do take what you said with the passion that you said it. So, thank you for that. Um, so, let's kind of shift off of that topic. Um, you know, we, we like to just talk about uh, or talk to people that have played at different levels. You know, you've obviously coached in both the collegiate and the professional level. Um, you know, what are, what are the biggest differences uh, and what are the, some of the similarities between the two levels? Yeah, I, I'd say um, similarities, you know, relationships. It's just important for, to, to build relationships with players. And I was in the WNBA for, for two months, you know, before Cal called me back and um, was, you know, working hard to build those relationships with players. Um, I'd say in, in the, in the WNBA, that relationship is going to happen a lot quicker when they know that, you know, what you're talking about, <laughs> you know, in the college level, you've got the recruiting and, oh, Hey, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, how's it going? Blah, 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 blah. Um, to get them to know you, um, and feel comfortable with you in the WNBA. It's like, all right, Hey, let's, let's look at your shot. Oh, how about, you know, cutting this way off of this, you know, yes, I can help you get more buckets. And, and, and that kind of, you know, starts the relationship. And, and then once you have that respect, um, then, then, you know, there, I feel like there's no limit to, to where you can go in terms of helping people um, develop and win games at that level. So uh, I wanted to talk about a little bit with you about the developing coaches, uh, especially minority coaches and, and women's coaches at some of the lower levels. Um, what, what are some things we can do to help uh, not only our minority coaches and women's coaches, but, but kind of all of our younger coaches uh, to develop into those roles and, and learn and, and be given those opportunities? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm gonna sound like a broken record, but I mean, you said it, you give minority coaches opportunities. You know, I, I can't, I can't count the number of, you know, white males who have gotten an opportunity in our game just because they knew someone. And it doesn't happen um, necessarily for, for, for my minority groups, right? You got to know someone and you got to be damn good, you know? <laughs> and okay. so, um, you know, there are a lot of talented um, people of color out there who, who, are, who are ready to, to coach in our game. Um, the problem is that uh, a lot of our athletics directors, a lot of people making the decisions are not people of color, and we tend to hire who we know. And so it has to be a conscious effort for people to seek out that representation um, for their staff, for their programs, for their athletics departments. Uh, there are plenty of talented people who are ready. It just must be intentional. 
and there's nothing wrong with being intentional um, to, to have a diverse makeup of your staff and your department. So let's uh, tweak it a little bit. As I said, you know, we had previously spoken to Lynn Dunn and, and she was very passionate about the promotion of the women's side of the game. And you kind of had touched about, uh, touched on it in the beginning. Um, but, you know, how do we begin to create more viewership for the game, which will lead to more sponsorship, which will lead to that investment in the game? How do we continue to kind of promote the game? Not that I'm trying to uh, make an engineer a marketer, um, but, you know, how do we kind of promote the game more? Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not an expert in that area. I, I, I rely on our marketing people and such, but, you know, we, we need to do better. Um, I think you saw it a little bit with the exposure um, on ESPN. Uh, more games were covered. Um, you know, we need better media packages, you know, similar to what the men have. We need to be able to call our tournament March Madness. Like that's, that's insane, you know, that only the men have the right to have March Madness plastered all over the court and on their shirts and such. Like it's March Madness for the women too. Um, little things like that to give our sport credibility, right? And we need to tell the stories of these young women. Um, they're phenomenal people and the people who follow women's basketball typically want to feel that type of connection. They wanna know who they're cheering for. Um, I think our athletes are really accessible and, and we need to take advantage of, of, of getting the stories out there so people know, you know, who Jada Curry is on our team, who's in the Bay Area and has the last name Curry and can shoot from Steph Curry range, right? We need right. to get those stories out, uh, you know, so that people are excited uh, to come and, and, and cheer on these athletes that are working extremely hard. All right, so... Hot, hot topic now uh, it's just come up the, the name and likeness and i want to take a different twist on it um you know if you want to talk about kind of what you guys are doing as a lab program that's fine but i know it's so new that people are still trying to to, to figure it all out um but i wanted to talk about a different twist basketball's kind of always been on the forefront of uh, and pretty innovative as far as coaches whether it be analytics uh we talked to jacob Averman yesterday's a video guy and that's that's a huge aspect of basketball um I wanted to talk about what you think of this opening up another avenue for people with different skills, whether it be marketing. Um, I know here in Illinois, I've seen a couple of positions that they've created as assistants directly to deal with the name and likeness aspect of it. Um, so I just kind of wanted to see, see your, your thoughts on it and that providing opportunities for, uh, you know, coaches of, of head that have different skill sets. Um, are you are you asking like coaches who may be part of their job responsibility is dealing with this name, image, and likeness issue? Yeah, I, I've just always thought that basketball has been more willing to bring people in of different skills, whether it be a math uh, in the analytics or, or people that are talented video-wise and things like that. So now bringing in maybe people that have a marketing background and, and different things like that, which will create more opportunities for not only minorities and females, but just yeah. just everybody. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I mean, I, I would love to have a position on my staff that solely deals with name, image, and likeness. You know, at this point, I'm talking to our creative content um, director, we uh, speaking to our SID, and and one of our assistants will be the liaison for this. So that it's a serious thing, and we need to understand how to brand our help brand our student athletes, um, what we can do um, to to make them feel as if um, you know, they can take advantage of this opportunity while they're here at Cal, because I know that 
there are going to be other institutions that are going to make them feel like they can take advantage of it, right? So we have our golden program that our athletics department rolled out on the day that the NIL uh, dropped. And so yeah. we have, right. yeah, we have campus partnerships set up already with the Haas School of Business and um, the public policy department. Um, we have influencer as our um, software that we'll use to help our student athletes. Um, our Cameron Institute, which is responsible for the career development, uh, personal engagement and leadership um, and community engagement. They're also gonna have an arm that deals with this name, image and likeness um, issue. So we've got a lot of things on deck already and we're ready to go. Um, the other thing that we have that other people don't have, maybe only a couple other schools have, is the Bay Area, right? Silicon Valley, the sixth largest media market. I mean, this is a place that's booming for people to have a brand. So I'm excited about how we'll work with that um, asset as well. well. I think there's a lot you can learn from some of the, the student athletes as well with some of the cool stuff that they do. I know, like in my, my just, I have a couple who do video games, but they have a whole brand of on Twitch and all, and all that stuff. So I think that's, that's a pretty cool, uh, it's going to be pretty cool to see how it develops over the next couple of years. For sure. So I wanted to, to take it to, there's so many of our listeners that, you know, take over, whether it's a high school program or a collegiate program uh, of, of any level, D1, D2, D3, NAIA, um, G League, whatever. Uh, I wanted to take it to that first year of you just take over. Uh, you know, obviously Todd and I have, you know, taken over high school programs ourselves. Um, but, you know, what went into that for you? You know, obviously you were the associate head coach, I believe, with Gottlieb before um, you were named the head coach. But for you, that first year, what were things you did to lay that foundation, hire staff? Um, you know, what, what went into the coaches you were looking for to add to your staff? Kind of just take us through that first year of development for the program. Yeah, so I have a really unique situation in, in how things went. Um, so I'll, I'll talk about the first year and I'll also talk about this, this off season right now. Um, you know, the first year I had been gone for two months and I came back and essentially I was, you know, with people that I had just been working side by side with, at, with Lindsay as the head coach. So, you know, for me, um, we were kind of in a situation where I was like, okay, let's go. I didn't anticipate the job. I didn't anticipate Lindsay leaving. I didn't anticipate me coming back. These are my people that I was riding with prior to leaving. Like, we're going to ride and get this done together. Let's go. So I kept the staff that was in place, right? Um, and, and didn't have any new coaches hired. Um, and so I think that's really unique um, as a head coach, you know, to not come in and, and, and hire your own people, so to speak. But those were my people. And so we, we didn't have to worry about, okay, how do we give a campus tour? What's the academics like? Like we knew Cal. So we were good on a lot of things that coaches have to figure out on day one. It was more just about what do I need to change to make it mine, right? And what culture things do we need to do differently and, and things like that. I think we did a really good job with that. We were a really young team. Um, there were a lot of transfers that took place when Lindsay and I both left essentially at the same time. By the time I got back, um, you know, we had we had a shortage in terms of the roster. We did really well in that first year, um, considering. And then COVID hit, and and it really um, derailed us. We last season had four season injuries, three to potential starters, um, and then 
having six freshmen on a roster in which we didn't get time to have summer access or a preseason. We were playing on outdoor tennis courts. I mean, it just didn't set us up for success. And it was a, a, a really challenging year. So after going through all of that, I'm now in a situation in which I've hired a completely new staff, um, support and coaching staff. And I feel like this is a reset button, as I've mentioned. It's like, okay, what do I need as a head coach, right? Um, what are the things that are gonna help support the student athletes and me as we go through this and, and rebuild after um, you know, the season that we went through with COVID? And so it, it feels really good. It's extremely stressful making hires, but the advice I would give is take your time, be, be patient and trust your gut. Um, you know, and I, I feel really good about this group that, that we have right now and, and how they're supporting me and our student athletes. So you touched on it a little bit, the, the recruiting aspect and how much it changed pretty much specifically due to, due to COVID. Um, so, you know, kind of talk about what went into, cause you guys are out recruiting now, what went into your plan for this year with the, with the transfer portal, uh, kids being able to stay, you know, um, what your process was for that uh, this year. And then, you know, going into it now with so many people out there, what you're looking, what you're looking for uh, in recruits and how to distinguish that and narrow it down to a good fit for you. Yeah, it's the recruiting has been extremely interesting. Um, you know, not really knowing how many people are are going to be super seniors or not. Um, you know, we have large, we have a, a junior class of four, a sophomore class of six right now and trying to calculate when they will be, you know, graduating and such, it, it's extremely challenging. You, you don't really know. Um, so you're trying to guess and, and figure things out. Uh, in terms of needs, um, you know, I, at this point, it's, it's about fit and, and what type of player we think can be successful in, in this conference. Right. And so um, we <laughs> our coaches are out right now really scouring and, and working to find someone who understands the value of a Cal degree and wants to compete in the toughest conference in the country and wants a coach that's going to motivate them and push them to reach their full potential. And there are a lot of good ones out there that want that. Right. Um, and so it's just a matter of um, identifying our top needs. You, you asked specifically, um, you know, we can take any, any position at this point in some of the younger years, right? Um, and I like a certain style. I, I wanna be up-tempo, right? I like long, um, athletic, you know, I want us to be able to do some different things defensively um, that takes that length, right? Um, it's great when you can get the high basketball IQ. Um, so I guess, you know, so obviously saying, I'm saying I want it all. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see what we end up getting, but we've done well recruiting. We had number seven recruiting class in the country my first year, got the pieces we needed this off season um, and just continuing to build on it. So I wanted to even take it down, I guess, to the high school level. Um, what do you think, we've asked a number of coaches this, the, the effect is gonna be uh, of this year on, you know, especially there's some seniors still out there they're the juniors uh what's the trickle down effect of of this covid year that kind of uh yeah. changed changed the game a little bit yeah I, I i can't say that i we know just yet right but it's it's tougher than it was before because you know as a college coach i've got to decide 
Um, do I go with, you know, a high school senior um, or do I go with someone out of the transfer portal who's already got two years of college experience and can play right away? That's the difference. Before you, you had to wait on them for a year. So you might as well take the kid out of high school, coach them for a year and, and you know, then you're even. Um, but now that people can play right away, I, I do think it's going to um, uh, kind of encourage some coaches to sit and word on the, wait on the portal, right? And then you've got these, the, the super seniors, you know, um, their fifth year that you've got to calculate in. So there are a lot of people that can kind of take spots away from those high school kids, so to speak. All right, Coach. So going in our last two fun segments here, uh, we call our first one the 30-second timeout. Uh, your platform to, to talk about anything you want. You can go off wherever you want here. Uh, you know, you've talked so much about your program, so agree about your program, something you're passionate about, maybe a charity, an outside organization, any unique story. Um, you know, we're not, we're not going to have the first horn or the second horn here. Uh, so uh, you, yeah. can, you can take your, your so-called 30-second timeout here and, uh, uh, you know, something that anything you want to talk about. Yeah, man, this this is a tough one. I, you know, I'm I'm gonna take 20 seconds to talk about um, my Muay Thai coach um, Jay, who has really just helped me understand even more the importance of having a good coach, right? So I got into Muay Thai um, several years ago, and it's really kind of like my outside hobby slash passion. And the reason I'm doing it the way that I am is because of the coach that I have. And so when I have those days where you know, I'm frustrated and I, and I want to be a certain way with our student athletes. I'm really reminded, like, think about when you're having a bad day in Muay Thai, like what your coach says to you and what motivates you, right? And, and I think that's important for us to have kind of that moment of reflection as coaches. I mean, sometimes I remember when Tara started playing the piano and it changed the way that she coached her teams at Stanford. Um, so anyways, just a shout out. I did my, my workout this morning with Coach Jay. Um, just a shout out to him and the Muay Thai minded family um, that it has really been um, influential in how I do my job here at Cal as well. And if I can get, I probably went over 30. No, hit it. Say, You're good. You go ahead. Keep on going. One more thing. I just want to shout out my, my student athletes. I will tell you that last year was um, no better way to put it, no other way to put it, but a year from hell. I mean, we went through everything from quarantine, isolation, 14 day, this, this games canceled injuries, loss after loss after loss. And um, after all of that, I don't have a single kid in the portal. And I am so proud of that fact That's awesome. um, as a coach. And I'm so proud of the young women in this program, um, you know, that they didn't quit. They didn't go looking for something else. They believed in each other and believed in me as a coach um, to sign up again and say, hey, let's, let's do this thing together. So had to shout out my team as well. That's awesome. That says a lot about your program because I don't know very many guests we've had on can say that. So that's a testament to you as well, coach. Um, so our last segment, this is purely just us having a good time with our guests. We call it quick hitters. Uh, as Todd would describe it, it can be questions that are basketball related, but they might not be basketball related. Yesterday, we asked somebody what their favorite Disney ride was. A couple of segments ago, we asked somebody that coached by the zoo what his favorite zoo animal was. So we just like to have some fun with our guests. So first quick hitter is your hardest class that you took at Stanford as a student. Yeah. Um, 
I guess I'd have to say my physics class on electricity and magnetism because uh, I had to take it twice. So <laughs> I'll say that was the hardest one. Todd and I would still be in that class trying to take <laughs> exactly. <laughs> your your most competitive teammate, uh, Jamila Weidman, hands down. Yeah. All right, so we got the toughest place to coach or when you were a player to play on the road. So toughest place to play. Yeah, um, I'm going to stay in, in conference with this one and uh, Washington State. Um, and not because, like, I don't know, there's like 15,000 fans or anything. It's, it's kind of like the opposite of that. It's such a tough place to get to. It's always snowing and it, it's just a tough, it's a tough trip. It's a tough trip going to Pullman. Um, so, yep, that's it. <laughs> All right, so when you were on campus at Stanford, uh, your favorite place to get food, either on campus or in the surrounding area? Yeah, so there used to be this place in town and country um, called Juice Club. And uh, would, like, jog there, get my, my run in, and go to Juice Club. And we'd go there a lot of times after workouts as well. Well, Juice Club, it, it is now Jamba Juice. Right. Oh, okay. Um, sorry, okay. juice club, but uh, yeah, the huh. jump right there in town and country that that was the spot. Just All felt right. good after a workout. Yeah, no doubt. That's interesting. We just learned that Jamba Juice used to be Juice Club. Yeah, and I don't know if like if it was the same company and they grew, or if you know Jamba just took over this little got it uh, local. Right. Um, yeah, so who knows. <laughs> All right, so we got your welcome to the pros moment. So something, a yeah. play or a situation, what was your welcome to the pros moment? Yeah, so um, I'm with the Storm. We are playing the Comets, and I'm guarding Cynthia Cooper. And, like, <laughs> defense is my thing. I can guard right. anyone. Like, I, right. that's, mm -hmm. how I made, that's how I made it in the league, right? And so I'm on Coop, and she's got the ball at the elbow, and I, like, arm bar her. And I'm like in a stance, like you are not going to score on me. I am ready. And she's got her back to the basket and she faces up and I keep my arm bar on her. So when you face the basket, you can't have the arm bar on her anymore. And so she's holding the ball up kind of like the Michael Jordan position. And she looks down at my arm bar and then looks at the ref. And I was like, oh, shoot. And I like, you know, react and take my arm <laughs> off of her. And then boom, she's gone. And I was like, oh, man, like, oh, man. <laughs> that's good so, yeah a little just by a look right yeah oh, just a oh. look so i think this is interesting uh where where are you recruiting to take recruiting travels taking you and your staff this july oh yeah um all over um we've got people I, i'm gonna miss some spots but from indiana to texas um to chicago um california obviously um where else are we i'm sorry i'm i'm, I'm blanking on a number of spots oh that's that's, that's more than i just i always think it's interesting because you know we talked to coach tandis from northern illinois and he was like well i'm going here and then the next day i'm going here and i have to overlap yeah. here and then i have to go here so i, I always like to ask that question because i always think it's interesting yeah uh atlanta south carolina I, I've, I already started in um, California. I'll head to Chicago, Atlanta, South Carolina next. And then we've got three other assistants who are doing all the other spots all around. Yeah, um, no yeah it's pretty, you know what? I'm excited about it because I haven't done it in over a year. So <laughs> I was like, yeah. 
let's go send me out let's get it done you know sometimes it's like oh I gotta go out but man seeing players play live and not on a live stream um it's it's it was a really good feeling so I'm excited about it all right so we asked this one to everyone and and we are both from Illinois we're from the Chicago suburbs and we don't have a shot clock yet uh for high school basketball in Illinois but what's your thoughts shot clock in high school basketball yes or no Yes, yes, yes. All right. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So coach, we, we had a lot of fun with this episode. I, I think your passion is, is remarkable and, and it's prevalent and we, everybody can sense it. So we really enjoyed having you on the episode today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki. For more show content and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout, or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. For show inquiries, you can email us at afterthetimeout at gmail.com. You can find all of our previous episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast by searching after the timeout. We appreciate you listening. Tune in next time for more basketball content on the court, off the court, and anything in between.